there were over 7,000 registrants, nearly 2,000 proposals submitted, and now only eight remain, vying for a single $100 million grant to be awarded by the MacArthur Foundation for the best idea and plan to help solve one of the world's most urgent social problems. Hear each of the eight semifinalists of the 100 and change competition on the business of giving and decide for yourself who deserves to be awarded the $100 million prize. And this evening, you're going to hear from another one of the semifinalists in the 100 and change initiative of the MacArthur Foundation. He is Dr. Jeffrey Tabin, the co-founder of the Himalayan Cataract Project. Good evening, Dr. Tabin, and congratulations on being chosen as a member of this most select and prestigious group. Well, thank you very much, Denver. It's an honor to be here. Give us a brief overview of the Himalayan Cataract Project and the work that you do. Well, the Himalayan Cataract Project really originated with my partner, Sandak Ruit, who's an amazing man. He was born in a small hill village, uh, 10 days walk from the nearest school, no roads, no electricity, no running water, and he emerged to become the leading ophthalmologist in Nepal. He trained in India at the best institutions. I was a climber who found my way to Nepal. I was a doctor interested in global medicine, trying to see how to make an impact, really looking to do something in public health when I saw the unbelievable miracle of sight restoration. And worldwide, there are 18 million people who are totally blind from completely treatable cataracts. Mm -hmm. And I saw the problem in Nepal had one of the highest rates of cataract blindness, both from the high intensity of the UV light, but also lack of antioxidants in the diet, genetic factors, and overwhelmingly a lack of doctors. Mm-hmm. And Sandik Rui was the only man doing modern cataract surgery in Nepal. I was very fortunate to have just finished my eye surgery training in kind of the best institutions in America, then fellowship in Australia. And I came thinking I would teach something, and I was actually just amazed and mesmerized by what Dr. Ruit had already accomplished in Nepal. And I basically signed on to work with him. And we began teaching cataract surgery in Nepal. And at the time, there were about 300,000 people blind from cataracts in Nepal, about 60,000 people going blind every year. And we thought it would be a lifetime to get a handle on cataract blindness in Nepal, let alone in adjacent Himalayan regions where no cataract surgery was being performed in Tibet, Bhutan, northern India, northern Pakistan. And we, uh, I worked with Dr. Ruit, came back to the States and took a faculty job at the University of Vermont, and we started a 501c program so that we could fund the development training. And it's really training at all levels, nurses, technicians, assistants, doctors, and and subspecialists. And now 20 years on, Nepal is the only country of the poorest countries in the world that has reversed its rate of blindness. What's the impact of someone going blind in the developing world, not just for themselves, but for their family as well? It is really devastating. There are no services for the blind. Usually it takes an able-bodied person out of the workforce or a child out of school to care for the blind person. They become unable to do the tasks of daily living that a normal elderly person would do in terms of child care, cooking, cleaning, taking care of the house garden or you know the local animals. And it's overwhelming the effect on poverty. And the children who don't go to school, people out of the workforce, but the blind person themselves gets depressed, 
They sit in a corner waiting to die. Yeah, well, what is the impact that it has on the life expectancy? The life expectancy, several studies have shown that once you go blind in the developing world, the life expectancy is essentially one-third that of age and health match peers. Yeah, I think the saying they, they have in Nepal is that a person who's blind is a mouth with no hands. A mouth with no hands. When you're in a subsistence agrarian economy, a mouth with no hands is just absolutely devastating to the economics of the family, but it also really takes a child out of the workforce. Mm. And there's a lot of childhood blindness as well. And when a child goes blind, most of them don't live to adulthood. Oh, wow. Well, let's talk specifically about the work you do and how you go about it. And the thing that really gets me is how do you bring uh, top quality eye care to the poorest of the poor in places like Nepal that you just discussed and do it at scale and at an affordable cost? Well, it's kind of multifactorial, Denver. The, the big thing that we do is developing the system. And it's really training, teaching, and empowering the local doctors, but also creating the system with training the nurses, technicians, and assistants. And when we began in Nepal, people didn't know they could have their sight restored. I bet. It was just accepted. You get old, your hair turns white, your eye turns white, and then you die. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't just a matter of teaching a man to fish. We had to teach how to sell the fish and reach out to the villages, get local health workers, teachers, someone to go and basically screen all the blind people in every village and bring them together where ophthalmic nurses could check them, see who could be helped. Now, 20 years later, we've really permeated almost every corner of Nepal. People are aware of the services. And through very high-volume surgery and creating a very efficient system of delivery, as well as manufacturing many of the materials we manufacture, the lens implant that restores excellent focus in Nepal for $4. Wow, it's like $200 in this country, or isn't more, it? Or more. Or more, yeah. more. Mm -hmm. the, the lens I use as my standard lens at the University of Utah is $300. Mm -hmm. But there are premium lenses that give you correction of astigmatism and give you uh, both reading and distance vision that the patient pays usually $2,000 out of pocket. Mm -hmm. I know, one to 2000 depending on where you are, for uh, these added lenses. How do you do it for four dollars? How do you do this surgery, and how long does it take, and what is the total cost, including the lenses? Well, another thing that we've really been developing and promoting is a very efficient, low-cost way of giving the same quality surgery that we do here in America. You know, most of the state-of-the-art places in America now have a million-dollar laser machine <laughs> that makes the incision and mm -hmm. opens the lens of the eye. A cataract is a clouding of the proteins in the lens of the eye, which focuses light that sits just behind the pretty colored part of the eye called the iris. And in America and in the West, there's been a focus on high-tech, ever more expensive solutions to more safely and efficiently remove the lens and put a lens implant back in. Dr. Ruiz is one of the very few brilliant doctors who's focused his life on trying to create the same quality without the high cost of the most expensive machines. And we make a small self-sealing incision into the eye wall, open up the uh, lens is kind of like a peanut M&M, &M, mm -hmm. and we open the outer candy shell, and we take out the hard peanut as what really you think of as the, the cloudy cataract, and also the chocolatey mess often turns white. Right. And we suck that out, and then once we have a clear shell and the capsules, it's really more the consistency of the skin of a grape. Once that's completely cleared out and we polish it clear, then we put a lens implant in that fits into that same spot, focuses the light very well, 
And then the wound that Dr. Ruit has, uh, uh, we first you know, published back about uh, 15 years ago, self-seals from the fluid pressure inside the eye, sealing it. And uh, the surgery in the best of hands, you know, Dr. Rui will do often 12 to 14 cases an hour. Oh, my goodness. And uh, I usually do around uh, you know, 9 or 10 cases every hour. Mm-hmm. And uh, the actual surgery, if there are no other concomitant eye diseases or problems with the eye, is under five minutes. That's remarkable. How long does it take for a patient to get their sight restored, and how would that restored sight compare to someone here in the West who's having the same similar kind of surgery but a far more expensive kind? Well, as soon as the anesthesia is worn off, we usually will patch our patients overnight to prevent infections. We uh, inject antibiotic into the eye and around the eye and put antibiotic on and put on a patch. Hmm. And when the patch comes off, it's still one of my uh, most favorite places to be is every morning in post-op. I've been doing it now for almost 25 years, and I still get tingles when we take the patches off someone who's totally blind. And there's a moment of disbelief almost, and then they look, and then this amazing smile, (laughs) and they see. And if there are no other diseases in the eye, We've published studies showing that 90% of the patients will see well enough to pass the American driver's test one day after surgery. That is impressive. And, it's, and then just the joy, the joy of the family, the joy of the people, you know, parents who've never seen their children. I just got back from Ethiopia, and on my last trip, we had a woman who was 32 years old with four children that she had never seen. Oh, my goodness. She went blind from cataracts mm-hmm. at age 22. And... To see her seeing her baby for the first time, seeing, you know, having grandparents, seeing their grandchildren for the first time. You know, what always interested me was what it must be like for someone to see themselves again. You know, that sense of self-discovery that, my goodness, look how I've aged. (laughs) We've done that quite a bit with with pictures on a cell phone, I mean, and Mm -hmm. pictures, you know, on on a camera and then showing the patient. But, you know, it's interesting because in America, the vision is similarly great after surgery, but the expectations are different in that in America, people are expecting they're going to see perfectly. So it's even a little bit blurry. They're kind of surprised. Yeah, unhappy. And, <laughs> and they're not going from blindness. You know, most of the patients I operate on in America, mm-hmm. you know, we have in the United States one ophthalmologist for every 18,000 people. And when your vision is a little bit blurry driving at night, or your vision's a little blurrier in your left eye than your right eye, you see your ophthalmologist, and it's such a wonderful procedure, and we do it so well that when the eye is just a little bit blurry, you have your surgery, and you expect to see perfectly. Mm-hmm. So it's a common thing in America to have a patient seeing 20-20 the day after surgery who says, what's that red spot in my eye? <laughs> well, there was a little blood vessel that broke yeah. when I was fixating the eye. Well, what did you do wrong? What's wrong with that? Mm-hmm. Versus just the absolute unmitigated joy in the developing world. You know, in addition to what you've said, how does a person's life change and that of their family once they do have this it's eyesight absolutely, restored? It, again, it's, it's something that, that, you know, has kept me going on this, you know, for 25 years. The, the transformation is so dramatic. People will look like they're 80 when they're in their 50s and blind from a cataract mm-hmm. and be shriveled. And it's miraculous. They straighten up. They stand. They walk. They go back to work. They go back to work with their families. The, the transformation from depression in a face to joy in the face. But people return to 
having very, very productive lives. Mm -hmm. And even the elderly people, as I mentioned, will go back to child care, taking care of the house garden, cooking, cleaning, and contributing to their family rather than being a burden. You know, one of the cornerstones of uh, HCP, which you've touched upon already, but I want to speak about it more, is this training and development of others from the countries and regions where you operate to perform and help support these surgeries and to address this backlog. And this has all become pretty extensive and very sophisticated. Tell us a little bit about that program. Well, again, we started in Nepal, and we called it the Himalayan Cataract Project because it seemed so overwhelming just to get a handle on cataracts. But we developed really an overall training system. We started taking our best young cataract surgeons, sending them to Australia or America for subspecialty training. We started a full residency program, which we've paired with the programs where I'm a professor here in the United States, the University of Utah. Really, it's a world-class training program. It then expanded into Bhutan, sort of all of the adjacent uh, Himalayan countries, the quality kind of lifted the quality all around. <laughs> and we have really great subspecialty care, and it's really become an overall eye care development program. We've expanded in Asia into Myanmar, into uh, Indonesia, even into North Korea. And in the last about eight years, I've been focusing much of my attention on Africa. Africa currently has about, Sub-Saharan Africa has one eye surgeon for every million population. Oh. But even that is deceptive in that Ethiopia, one of the main countries where I'm working, has 93 million people. They have 112 ophthalmologists, but 34 of those don't practice surgery. And of the ones who do, almost 60 live in Addis Ababa, which has a population of 4.5 million. Mm -hmm. So for much of the country, there's uh, one eye surgeon per four or five million people. All told, how many of these surgeries do you do in a given year, and what would be the backlog of people that you simply just can't get to right now? Well, that's, that's a tough question. In terms of the number that we do, this is you know, that our program actually, and one of the things we're really focusing on, Denver, is trying to create sustaining models mm -hmm. so that there's a cost recovery. You need to have a reasonable income for doctors in the country, for nurses in the country, for people who clean up in the operating room to keep the enthusiasm to get the best young doctors sure. going into ophthalmology. And in Nepal, we've developed uh, something that's been called compassionate capitalism, where the paying patients subsidize care for the poor. And we, uh, by doing very high volume and keeping the cost down, are able to still pay the doctors well and the nurses well. And we have been... Uh, working to create a system where we can kind of reach out to patients in the more remote areas and really train and really develop the whole system and model for delivery. Mm -hmm. Jeff, you are a world-class mountain climber, someone who has dared the impossible and is one of the very, very small handful of people to have climbed the highest peak on all seven continents, the seven summits. Mm -hmm. How has that sense of adventure and scaling new heights informed your work at the Himalayan Cataract Project and the corporate culture of the organization? Well, a little bit in that it kind of brought me into what I'm doing is I first came to Namal as a climber, and, and I might add that I used to be an okay climber quite a few years ago. I'm a much better ice surgeon than I am a climber <laughs> these days, although I, I retain some enthusiasm. But, you know, when you're attempting a big peak or, you know, where I came from in the climbing world was really rock climbing and big wall rock climbing. You know, you start up El Capitan, it's one step at a time. You're focusing in a very small area and focusing on one person at a time or just reaching that next handhold. 
And yes, the, the figures are dawning that there are currently 18 million people in the world blind from cataracts. We have about 36 million blind people on our planet, mm-hmm. and just over half could be completely restored with cataract surgery. Another half of those, so about between 75 and 80 percent, either could be treated or could have been prevented by developing the care. But you have to focus on one step at a time. You don't look at saying, I'm on top of Mount Everest. It's the process of climbing. And as we're going through the process, one of the exciting things about eye care is that every individual we treat Denver is cured, mm-hmm. 100%. They're no longer a statistic. They are cured. Their family has been restored. There are very few areas in public health or medicine where once you have the intervention, the person is good to go for the rest of their life. And it's a, a process of really focusing on where is that next hold, where is, where is the next place we're going. So to, to kind of look and say we're going to eliminate all blindness in the world, you know, it's probably a billion-dollar proposition, mm-hmm. and there are political obstacles in a lot of countries. But we've been able to say, okay, we've been able to really transform eye care in Nepal. We've spread the system to Bhutan. With the MacArthur Grant, we're hoping to really transform eye care in two African countries, in Ghana and in Ethiopia, mm-hmm. and create a model that can then really spread and show how we can break the back of needless blindness. Well, it sounds to me then the lesson you have taken is uh, don't get too far ahead of yourself and take one step at a time and be very cognizant of the present and deal with that. And still to be Thinking about your dreams. Yes, thinking you about your dreams, still dream right? big. You know, yeah. we, we, in 1983, did the first descent of the east face of Mount Everest. I know. The Kangsheng face. And a lot of the cognoscenti in the climbing world said that's absolutely impossible. And we came to it with the idea that we could do it. Mm-hmm. And breaking it down into where we needed to go, it was a level of technical difficulty that had never been done on a peak of that scale. It's the only first ascent that's been done on Mount Everest with no native support whatsoever. We just focused on each little increment, and that's what we're doing with blindness. Mm-hmm. And I think about that climb, you said something along the lines that we may not have been the best climbers in the world, but we had the best team. What are the key elements of a great, great team? I think you have to have a common belief. You know, when we go to do a large cataract intervention, I just came back from Ethiopia where we did 2,000 cataract surgeries in one week. We had an amazing team, a team of nurses doctors, technicians, the people who were helping feed the patients, the people who were volunteers helping bring the patients to the toilet. The whole team has to really believe in what you're doing Mm -hmm. and really have joy in the process of what we're doing and excitement about the possible outcome of what we're doing. And I think one of your axioms is, is that no one does anything that someone with lesser skills can do. Well, that, that's a strategy Dr. Rui developed, yeah. and also he had spent two years at the Aravind Eye Hospitals uh, down in uh, Madurai in southern India. And that has really taken hold. You know, in America, we have so many regulations You know, we can't put an eye drop in a patient without the doctor writing a note and having a registered nurse take the order. And in uh, our (laughs) cataract program, we really train everybody up. So everyone is doing things right at their limit, which also really helps with the team concept. Mm -hmm. And our whole Himalayan Cataract Project team here in America 
is so wonderful and fantastic and really enthusiastic about not just where we're going, but the process of how we're going. Well, let's talk about where you're going, Jeff, and get back to the 100 and Change initiative. If the Himalayan Cataract Project should be so fortunate to be awarded this $100 million grant by the MacArthur Foundation, how specifically are you going to do it, use it, and what would it allow you to do? Well, it will allow us to really break the back of needless blindness in sub-Saharan Africa and show that we can create a sustaining model and transform eye care and blindness in Ghana and Ethiopia. We'll be expanding our training programs in Nepal and bringing African doctors, nurses, and technicians for training. We'll also be working with two of the best eye care systems in India, the LV Prasad eye care system and the Aravind eye care system, expanding their training and their ability to train African doctors, as well as expand their outreach and cure more blind people in India and Nepal. But we will really be able to complete the training that's necessary to create the infrastructure, the skilled teachers. So we'll be training the trainers who will then be teaching other nurses, training other technicians, and especially training other doctors and have a center of excellence in East Africa, in Ethiopia, in West Africa, in Ghana, and also create the outreach in primary eye care centers and cataract delivery hospitals where we can really transform blindness in Ghana and Ethiopia, which I hope will then spread in the way our program in Nepal has spread to Bhutan and adjacent areas in the Himalayas will really transform eye care and reduce blindness in Africa. Well, let me close with this, Jeff. Uh, you know you have seven very worthy and remarkable other semifinalists in this MacArthur uh, 100 and Change initiative. But if you really had to make that final case <laughs> as to why you believe that the Himalayan Cataract Project will have the most profound and meaningful impact on global society, what would that case be? Well, I think that the dramatic effect on individuals with the money from the grant will be doing an additional 500,000 cataract surgeries and will be training the doctors who over the next five years after the period of the grant will be doing an extra 20 million cataract surgeries. So it's really going to expand outwards from the training model. We're going to be directly transforming in a way that is easily quantified, easily followed, and it's such an easy thing. These are the blind people, and we have their solution, but we're really unlocking the solution for such a large issue as needless blindness. And several studies have shown that the return to the economy is more than four to one. It's a 400% return on money spent on eyesight restoration. So we're going to have this huge economic impact that will keep filtering. But the big thing is we're going to be creating a model that will then spread, and I hope lead to more funding, more sources, people saying, wow, I'd love to eliminate blindness in Tanzania. You've shown us the model. Let's go ahead and do this. And also creating a similarly huge reduction in India and in China mm -hmm. other places of need. I think of the programs, they're all amazing things for transformation, but we have one that really 
as a very demonstrable endpoint. And as I said, as the earlier example, each individual person we cure becomes no longer a statistic. Mm -hmm. They are fully cured. They don't need additional help. Well stated. Well, Dr. Jeffries Tabin, the co-founder of the Himalayan Cataract Project, I want to thank you so much for being here this evening. If people want to learn more about the work you do, what are some of the places they can go well, to our, find out? Our website is the for the Himalayan Cataract Project is www.cureblindness, C-U-R-E-B-L-I-N-D-N-E-S-S, cureblindness.org. Mm -hmm. There's also a book that is out that was written by New York Times bestseller, bestselling author David Oliver Rellin called Second Sons, which is the story of myself and my amazing partner, Dr. Sandak Ruit, who really is the genius behind everything that we're doing. And it uh, also is a, a a bit of a fun read. <laughs> okay. Well, my very best wishes to you and your colleagues, Jeff, and the 100 and Change MacArthur Challenge. It was a real pleasure to have you on the program. A real honor to be here, Denver. Thank you so, so much. Yeah.